Hey everybody, Jesse here from Flyers Alley. I want to talk to you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. We use Anchor in the Alley. You guys should too. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 23 of Flyers Alley. Along with me in the alley, as always, is Jake and Wade. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Enjoying the Sunday. And tonight, we have a special guest, former Flyer and Blazer, Andre Lacroix. How are you doing? I'm good, Jesse. Thank you. Thanks for coming on, man. My pleasure. Should be fun. Oh, it's going to be a great time. Great time. No doubt. Before we get into it, Flyers Alley is sponsored by Body Check Wellness. Go to www.bodycheckwellness.com and use promo code OCS for 25% off your Hemp Thrive CBD oils and functioning mushroom blends. All right. How you doing today, Andre? How's your weekend going? I'm great. We had good weather. You know, summer's too short. The problem, with, the problem being in Cleveland, summers are great. But the winter really sucks, I'll tell you. <laughs> you, get, you get gray skies. I'm a morning person, and I don't like to get up when it's dark out. Yeah. And the sun, at least in Quebec City, when it was 20 below zero, this, the sky was blue. Here it's gray. So it's really, <laughs> you know, it's really bad. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> there was a good weekend. I was down to B. I was in uh, Ocean City, New Jersey for a little bit in uh, North Wildwood. It was nice. We had good, good weather until today. It was kind of. I used was, to be in North Wildwood when I first played for the Flyers in the summer. <laughs> oh, really? Then I bought a place in Brigantine. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it was a good weekend. It was the best kept. Brigantine was the best kept secret until gambling came in. <laughs> ah. <laughs> that's usually how it happens. That right? screwed it up completely. <laughs> that's awesome. You had a place down there. That's always nice. Yeah. You always wonder where all the ex play, where the uh, ex flyers and the, the former players go, and then you find out that's actually where you've been going for your whole life. So that's that's nice. Yeah, you know, when <laughs> I was playing for the Flyers, Eddie Van Imp and I were the only one that lived in Philadelphia. Everybody else lived in Cherry Hill area and yep, Southfield. Yeah, wow. I think that's how it is nowadays. A lot of the players across all four teams, they all live in South Jersey now. Yeah. Yeah, they live close to the uh, the practice facility in Voorhees. Yeah, we know in those days we practiced at Penn. We, the practice facility wasn't there. Yep. And that's why I couldn't figure out what the guys. But the one thing is in Barrington, if I remember, when I first played for the Flyers, we rented a place in Barrington because that's where a lot of people from the naval base stayed because they used to rent us places by the month. So you never knew if you got traded, then you were not stuck with the uh, payment on the on the rent. <laughs> hmm. You know, we, used to to, 
Is Rexy still there? Do you know in in Jersey the bar? I that think it is. I think to go at the games. I think it is. I think it actually is there. I think my uh, my dad was talking about it not that long ago. It was a great place to go. From what we told, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Today the guys are too young; they can't even go to the bar now. <laughs> yeah, right. Was it in uh, West Collinswood Heights, New Jersey? Rexy's yeah. bar and restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's still open. It's still Arena. Is Cherry Hill Arena still there? Cherry Hill Arena. Um, That's what we played for the you know one year with the uh, New Jersey Knights when I went there from New York. Mm. The worst arena in the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was in Jersey, so. <clears throat> Jamie Basquiat says, "Keep up the good work, everyone." Thanks for coming out, Jamie. And Brent Clemmer says, "What's going on, everyone?" Yeah, I want to kind of dive into some of these. I, I got some questions for you. You had a pretty, pretty electric and, and historical career. Um, I feel like our our generation of people don't know that. Um, yeah, you played for the Flyers in 1968, got traded to the Chicago Blackhawks in 1971, only to return to Philadelphia to play with the Blazers. Now, did you have some sort of like connection with Philadelphia? Was that was that a choice that you made, or was that just like kind of a deal thing? Well, I had married a girl from Philadelphia, and then when I was with the Blackhawks, I was not happy at all because they didn't give me a chance to play, and I was on my last year of my contract. And I received a phone call from Jim Cooper, who was one of the owners of the Blazers in Philadelphia, and he said to me, "He said, Andre, he says I've watched you play for the Flowers for three years." And he said, I would like you to come back to Philadelphia. He said, we're going to have a franchise in the World Hockey League. He said, I'll double your – he said, I have no idea what you're making, but he said, I'll double your salary and give you a five-year deal. I said, I'm done. <laughs> at the time, at the time, I was making $31,000 in Chicago. See, that's what I – I wrote a book about this because I didn't want to write a hockey book. I wanted to write a book about my situation on and off the ice I talk in my book about all the contracts that I signed, how much I made, and I am the youngest of 14 kids. Whew, really? Wow. Seven boys, seven girls, and I'm the only one that played hockey. Jeez. That's you know? Yeah. So That's it's, a, it's a great story. You know, I talk about when I grew up, with, you know, I'm, I'm, I always had skates at least two sizes bigger than I should, and I used to put paper in the back to make sure my ankle was okay. Because we couldn't afford new skates. You know, my dad had two jobs, raising 14 kids. I mean, come on. In Quebec City. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was no, you know, there were not too many TV shows in those days. That's probably why we had 14 kids. <laughs> you know? But the one guy. thing though, the one thing is I, I I tell people in my book is is that as many teams as I played for, I was my own agent. I I, I negotiated my own contract. And I was only traded once in my career. It was from the Flyers to the Blackhawks. Every team I played after that, I was a free agent. I signed as a free agent. And as a matter of fact, in 1974, I signed a contract with San Diego. Ray Clark, the owner of McDonald's, was the owner of the team. And Buzzy Bavese was the manager of the Padres. He owned the Padres as well. And he called me in Philadelphia. I was living in Philadelphia at the time. He said, uh, I want you to come to San Diego. I want to talk to you about a contract. So I went there, talked to them. 
And that's when I signed one of the, I mean, in those days in 1974 was one of the biggest contract in hockey. And, but before we talk money, I tried to get a McDonald franchise. <laughs> and he said, um, that's not going to happen. I said, why not? <laughs> he said, do you know why Reggie Jackson is not playing in San Diego? Reggie Jackson at the time was a free agent with the Yankees. And San Diego wanted to have him. And he asked for a franchise. He wouldn't give him one. Wow. So I figured if Reggie didn't get one, they're not going to give me one. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, in 1974, I signed a six-year deal with Ray Kroc, not with the team, with Ray Kroc, personally guaranteed by Ray Kroc for $175,000 a year in 1974. And that's why people always ask me, like, if you were playing today and if you had the success that you had then, what would you make? Probably $9 million. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. You know, is that is that why you the kids don't have fun today? They don't have fun like we did, though. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't like hockey today. I don't watch much hockey anymore. Oh. Is that why you stayed with the WHA over the NHL? Just uh, did they pay well, better? They, they, no, they gave me a chance to play, and mm. I was not happy in Chicago. I knew when Chicago found out that I was going to jump league, they offered me a contract. And I knew if I signed with Chicago, they were going to trade me because the year I was in Chicago, Vancouver, asked Chicago if they, if they would trade me to Vancouver. And they asked me first because at the time I had a young child. And thank God they said, if you don't want to go, we're not going to trade you because you know I know you have a child and it's near the end of the season. I said, I would rather not go. Yeah. And at the time, Chicago had a better chance to go far in the playoff than Vancouver as well. So... I knew at the end of the season, I need a place to play where I could use my skill and get a chance to show what I could do. And that's why when the WHA came in, I knew that if the WHA didn't work out, I knew I was blackballing the NHL. Yep. All of us, all yeah. of us at Jump League, we knew we were blackballing the NHL. But the players in the NHL should thank us because they made more money than because of us, because the salary went up in the WHA. And then we WG signed 18, 19 year old, and the NHL had to do the same thing. Yep. And if you look at all the stars, the majority of the stars that were in the NHL came from the WHA Gretzky, Messier, all these guys. Yeah. They started in the WHA. Mm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because, um, even I mean, going to some wrestling terms, I mean, I don't know if anyone watched wrestling here, but when WWF and WCW were battling, it was like. That was our peak performance. That sounds like how it was back in the day for WHA and NHL. It's just like you guys led the way, and then NHL had to just keep up in the money, which eventually led, like you said, to these guys getting paid the way they do. Absolutely. You know, and the one thing that WHA did is every team had at least one enforcer. So you knew that if the, if you didn't win your game, you knew there were going to be some fights, and the people loved that. Yep. You know, they figured that and everybody had a, I mean everybody had a great fighter on their, each team. I mean, uh, it's not like, you know, and the fighters they were not going after me or after the goal scorer. They were going at each other. And that's a tough business to be in because if oh, you no get doubt. beat too many times, they send you down and say let's get somebody else. Hmm. Just yeah, it sounds like a movie that uh, or a documentary that you watch <laughs> oh, yeah. times. I love ice ice guardians. Yeah, I love yeah. I love ice guardians. It's my favorite. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, wait, you got anything? 
uh, with the time that you've been playing, um, are you are you a fan of the fighting in NHL or WHA? Well, the reason are you a fan I'm, of it. Well, one of the reasons I don't watch hockey is because I see the kids watching the game and the referees are so bad. Yes. Okay. They let everything go. I tell everybody, I tell people, I said, if you watch a hockey game, I said, do me a favor. I says, just count the number of cross-checking that are not being called. And I'll bet you there's at least 20 every game that are not being called that should be called. And the kids are watching this and they say to themselves, you know, we could do that. They let it go in the NHL. I think the best thing the NHL could do and they won't do it, the best thing, and to stop fighting as well, because I think fighting should be out of it. Or if you're going to fight, you should get kicked out of the game. Not that five minutes and ten. Get kicked out of the game right away. And if you fight in the third period, you should be suspended for the next game, to be honest with you. So I think what the NHL will do, should do, and they won't do it, is bring back the red line. Because yeah. the reason I don't watch hockey, to be honest with you, I was with, I was a finesse player. Like Gretzky and I played the same type of game. Mm-hmm. And I said, now it's a, it's all a stupid dump and chase. Right. Yep. They dump the puck in. They chase it. They come back out, dump it down the other hand. That's why the last game of the Stanley Cup final was one of the worst games I ever watched. <laughs> to be honest with you. Because who wants to watch dump and chase? And I blame the coaches, to be honest with you. Because yeah. the coaches are telling the kids because they all do it. So a lot of ki- the, the guys have a lot of talent. They're just not allowed to use them, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Because if they don't, they won't be playing. Right. And, and I'll tell you, the NHL's going to have big problems because I'm so happy with the money the guys are making, but they're so overpaid, to be honest with you. And how can you give a second and third line player on Tampa Bay a five-year deal to be a second or third line player wherever you're going. And then after three years, two or three years, you don't want him anymore and you can't get rid of him because nobody wants to take up the contract. Right. Yep. So the overpaying, I'll tell you what, if I had a business, I would not hire any of those general managers to run my business. Yeah, I think the GMs do it that way because they know they're on like a two, three-year leash anyway. So if, right. if they don't get it done, they're out. So they're like, I'm spending this money now because if I don't and I'm out in two years, you know, oh, well, you know, they're the ones with their hands tied with the cap now. I don't have to worry about anything. I can move on to someone else. You know, in the old days, it used it used to be guys that used to own teams, they used to be maybe millionaires, okay? Mm-hmm. And they were careful with the way they spend. Today, they're billionaires that own mm-hmm. the team. See, they don't care. It's a toy for them. Right. Exactly. So, and then – the salary cap now, I think, is like eighty million per team. Yes, and more than likely, they're not going to raise the salary cap for a couple of years because the teams have, have played without fans for the last couple of years, so they had no revenues. So the owners are going to try to get some of that money back before they raise the salary cap. So that's going to cause problem to some team. When you get to a point where most of the team now. The top four players on each team makes like nine or ten million dollars each. So that doesn't get le- that doesn't leave too much money for the rest of the eighteen players or sixteen players left. Yep. The plus you got players like uh, McDavid and Matthews <coughs> who are making that good money, and the team. I mean, they didn't make it past the first round this year. 
Right. So, I mean, what are you paying these guys that much money for? Well, you see, that's what happened with Toronto. Now they try to trade Marner or one of those guys, but they can't because he make $10 million. Yeah, making right. way too much money. You know, and that's what happened with this kid in Buffalo now. They're having a hard time trading him. Oh, Eichel, yeah. He's a good player, but he's making so much money. And I don't know if there's a rumors about his off-the-ice uh, activities and stuff. So they all check that out, and uh, he might end up sitting out next year. Well, he's yeah. also sitting out because of his previous neck injury. Right. right. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, a lot they're of, not. Like, like, we all know about it, but, like, to go in depth detail, Buffalo is sitting on the on the files on it and not letting it get leaked out. So well, it's, really hurting, it's really hurting Buffalo and uh, Jack Eichel's career right now. Absolutely. So he, he, he most yeah. likely will sit out next year, which more power to him. He should. He should. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. That's just proven that the, the, the team does, is really – they don't want to release his medical records because they want his, his money, his price tag to stay at what it is. I mean, you yes. got a player that's got a neck injury that needs neck surgery, and they're not allowing him to get neck surgery. Like, that speaks volumes. Absolutely. You know, the Flyers made some good moves, but do you know what the problem is there? Goaltending. Oh. Okay. I was actually my my next question was going to be about you saying that you you, know, you still play and you're in a men's play. men's league and what would you uh, if you could get on the ice with the Flyers what would be some pointers that you give them right now? Well, I'm only 76 years old, so I think I might have a couple passes. I think <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, the reason I say that is because the kid could be good. Okay, the first year was good because they didn't know him. The second year they got to know him because I've watched him. He gambles a lot. You can't gamble in the NHL. You have to be solid. And that's why I was surprised that the Flyers didn't go after Fleury, to be honest with you. Because Fleury would have been a great example for the kid. The kid yep. could have learned from him. Yeah. You know? And because they need, they need somebody to compete with him to make him work harder. That's what they need. Because I think, I think they made some good moves to the Flyers. They need help on defense. I mean, I could even play defense for what they had. <laughs> and, yeah, so, so I think that they made some good moves, okay. But uh, until unless the kid comes back to his first year form, they're gonna be in trouble. Yeah, I think that trade that they made, uh, them getting Martin Jones. Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if that was the the uh, the best decision to make. I thought Jonathan Bernier may have been the best, the better of the options that there was available. But Martin Jones is he, he's okay. Oh yeah, it's a good backup. Uh, I mean, he's actually, a question mark yeah, but the there. thing is, he's not. He's not the competition for the goal for the number one goalie. You right. need somebody that's gonna that will make him nervous. That's gonna make him play better because he wants to be number one, and he should be number one. Yeah, yeah it's a, but it's you, a you can't give mark. it to him. You see, I think they give him so much good publicity, and at a young age, like sometimes it goes back to your head, mm -hmm. and you have to be careful. And the NHL is so good. The guys are so good in the NHL now. I mean, you, you know, they can put the puck in such a small area. And, but he didn't get much up for the defense. And I think that's mm -hmm. why I hope he has a good, a good year this year because he's going to have so many better defensemen in front of him. Yeah, I think that might have been to why he was taking a lot more chances last year in that because he didn't trust the defense in front of him. Hopefully this year – yeah, hopefully this year he has trust in his defense and he gets back to just exactly getting in good position. Because number one thing in goalie, you have to have good position. If you're well, out of position, you're getting beat nine out of ten times. Yeah. 
You see, that's what made Bernie, Bernie Perrant so good because when you have a guy like Eddie Van Imp in front of the net, nobody wants to come in front of the net because Eddie mm-hmm. would cut the earth, earth his, he'd cut his head off, <laughs> you know. And he had Joe and, and Jimmy. You know, when you look at the year they won the Stanley Cup, the shots on goal were probably 20, 25 shots on goal. And you never saw a rebound against Bernie because nobody came near him. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's the difference. When you have defensemen that would clear the park or clear the front of the net, the goalie plays with so much more confidence. Well, especially with with uh, the addition, the one guy I followed pretty heavily last year, Rasmus Ristolainen. No one's going to touch Carter Hart this year. The question I have with him, you know, I I agree with you, but the question I have is, why did Buffalo let him go? Uh, I actually was listening to uh, another podcast. They had him on there uh, for an interview, and they had asked him if he was willing to go anywhere else, and he said, yeah, and that was basically all it was. It didn't have to do with money. It's just he was ready to leave. Yeah, but I understand, but they own him, so they, that shouldn't be his choice because right. Buffalo, made a lot of, Buffalo is, is going to start to get better, and you would think, well, he's what, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, whatever he is mm. on the defense? Yeah, boy. You don't get You don't get rid of somebody that's 6'4", six, 6'5", six, unless there's something wrong. Right. You just won't. Yeah, and he was a he was a first round draft pick. He right. Was, we did give up a lot to get him. I think that's the main reason they let him go. Because yeah. uh, some people are saying we overpaid. I think it's we needed it. So there's no such thing as overpaying if yeah. it's something that you like absolutely need. So well, I that's think that's the main reason Buffalo let let him go. Yeah, that's why I was glad that at the Flyers. If this is probably the first year where they decided that. They knew they had to give something, somebody up to get somebody good. Yep. In the past, they always hesitated to get rid of somebody. Mm-hmm. This year, they did. They just said, we need to get better because there's no way in the world last year they shouldn't have made the playoff. They had a good enough team to make the playoff. Well, and they better make the playoff next year because some some coaches won't be around. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> that's true. Most likely. Yeah. Because well, you, that's where the owners make their money in the playoff. Yep. Yeah. How do you um, be added merchandise? Yeah, how, absolutely. How do you feel about today's game? And do you like the adoption of the European style, or do you like the North American style better? Well, I like the European style, but they're not playing it. That's my mm. point. That's why I told yeah. you earlier. European don't play dump and chase. Okay. You know the kid that plays in the for the New York Islanders, Barzell. Mm. Oh yeah, the best player. I love to watch him. Can't get the puck off the stick. The way hockey should be played. He carries a puck. He makes great plays. And that's hockey. European, I tell people, when I played against the Russian on Team Canada in 1974, the Russian, was we hated them, but they were probably the best team I played against because they never give the puck away. They always pass the puck to the open man. You don't see that anymore. That's why when I watched the Islanders play, I watched Barzell play because it was so exciting to watch. And didn't matter how many guys were on him, he still kept the puck. But the NHL has enough talent, talented players to do that. But like I said earlier, coaches won't let them play their game. You know, hockey, it should be a finesse game. Okay? And that's why you see a lot of injuries on defense now. Because when you, when you dump the puck, the player finishes check, and the defenseman is the first one that gets a puck. She's the first one that gets hit. 
So when a defenseman plays 24, 25 minutes in a game and he gets a lot of hit, he gets hurt. And I, I think that I wish they would play more like the European style. We have a lot of European players playing, but they're playing the American style, which is dump and chase. Right. Now, with that European style being said, do you think that the NHL should try to adopt widening the rink? Like, uh, no, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. I know that. Gonna do you think? No, that's why I say if they eliminate the red line, if they put the red line back in, that would come back. Because right now, they go, they, if you watch the NHL play, the defenseman goes behind the net, get the puck. The two winners come and cycle. Mm-hmm. That means one of them is going to be open. So you're going to give him the puck. Uh, I don't think so. So he starts skating out. Then there's another winger that started the far blue line. It gives him the puck to deflect in the zone. So now the other team goes and get it and just does the same crap coming back the other way. That's why if you had the red line, you can do that because there would be a two-line pass. Right. True. Yes. That's where I think that the style of hockey would change if you still had the red line. Dealing with the red line because the guys were bigger, but the guys today are faster. They're smart. They're good hockey players. And I think you would see much better hockey if you had the red line in. Yeah, but the way that uh, Batman's trying to spin without having the red line in there is he likes it faster. He likes what? He likes the the speed of the game being a lot faster. If you add the yeah, red but, line, it slows it down. Yeah, but the thing is, what good does it make to be faster if, if you dump the puck all the time? That's oh, my sure. point. You know, you skate for nothing. Sometimes you could be on the shift for 30 seconds and you won't touch a puck. Then you get off the ice and I go back on again and I don't touch the puck again. You see, <laughs> in the old days, we always make sure I used to tell I beat center and I used to tell my wingers, give me the puck. I want to I want the puck. That's my job. You get open, I'll get I'll get it to you. Both mm-hmm. sides, left or right. That's not the case anymore. Today, because the winger does it, they do the right job, they stay on the wing. But nobody's giving them the puck because they just want to get the guy. But then when the guy at the far blue line, there's two defensemen with him. He can't go anywhere because yeah. everybody's at the red line at that point. Mm-hmm. He's so far ahead of everybody. And that's why I don't like the fact that there's no red line because the game would be – you'll see a lot more plays, more better. You'll, be, you'll see a lot more guys like Barzell play hockey. Oh, of course. He's amazing too. He's, he's, oh, he's, he's a, I think he's the best right now. Really? David. Yeah, I like Barzell more. Than I like. I don't. I don't pay too much attention to McDavid. Well, I like Barzell because he has a little the thing, is, the thing is, so he's so fast. He's so strong, McDavid. Right. You know, I mean, for what he's accomplished the last two years with the team that he had. Okay, but if you ask me, what I would pick? I would pick Barzell. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What well, um. So, what was your um, what was your favorite team you played for in the NHL, AHL, and the WH? Like, what was the the one that stood out the most? Well, the Flyers because that was my first team, to be honest with you. And then, uh, you know, I I keep going back when I came back. I came play with them in on in '67 at the end of the season. That was a tough. That was probably the toughest decision I ever made in my career. Because at the time I was playing with Quebec Aces in the American Hockey League, I was leading the league in scoring by about 30 points. I had six hat trick in the season that tied a record. I was going for a record for hat tricks. Uh, 
We had a chance to win the whole thing. Then the Flyers bring me up with 17 games to go, but they were supposed to bring me up just for weekend games. So we go to Pittsburgh. I played my first hockey game in Pittsburgh with the Flyers. We tie 1-1. I scored a goal. We go back to Philadelphia the next night. We play Minnesota. We win 7-4. I get one goal, three assists. The next, game, next day, I go see Bud Poy with my bag ready to go back to Quebec. And he said to me, he said, uh, you decide what you want to do. Do you want to stay or do you want to go back to Quebec? I wish he would have made the decision for me, to be honest with you, because I felt like I, I let a lot of guys down in Quebec. But at the same time, as a hockey player, you don't want to play in the minors. You want to play in the NHL. Of course. And then I figured with 17 games to go, we were fighting with St. Louis to finish in first place. The experience I would gain by playing 17 more games with the Flyers in the playoff, that would help me for the following year. That's why I made the decision to stay with the Flyers. And then, I think in, in the WHA, there's no place like San Diego. I mean, you know, people, people say, how can you play in that kind of weather? I said, I don't have to go to Minnesota after a hockey game. I'm, you know, I had I had a street eagle dune buggy. That was my my second car, <laughs> and, and I I used to go to practice in t-shirt and shorts every day. Are you kidding me? It's the best city in the world. I mean, was was uh, Philadelphia the kind of the same as it was nowadays when it comes to the sports? Though, like the the city of brotherly love was this. I feel like it was probably better back then than it is now. Well, Philadelphia is, is – I look at Philadelphia like Quebec and, and Montreal. It's a tough place to play because fans can get on you very easily. Yeah. To be honest with you, you know. Yep. And you have to win. Even in the Flyers, listen, a couple of years, two, three years ago when they were not winning, they were not selling out, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know. So people like winners. I mean, you remember when Santa Claus got snowball throwing at him? Of course. You know? So, you know, I was, you know, you remember the first game I played for the Blazers in Philadelphia when we gave the orange parks to the people? I know if you know the story, but our first game with the Blazers in Philadelphia, they everybody came to the game, they received an orange puck with the Blazers logo on it. Huh. So instead of giving to giving it to them on the way out, they give it to them on the way in. And then the first game, the Zamboni comes on the ice, and as he tried to get off, he he tried to pull the back of the, the Zamboni off, and he pulled some of the ice. So the game had to, <laughs> so the game had to be canceled. So Derek Sanderson go over the microphone to tell him you're sorry, ta -da -ta, and people were throwing pucks at him. <laughs> you know? I said, welcome to Philadelphia. Yep. <laughs> and then he had he had lease a Rolls Royce, and oh. his Rolls Royce was parked right next to the Civic Center. That's where we played. After the game, somebody put a big scratch on the door. Oh. Yeah. That's horrible. Oh, that was horrible. <laughs> that was horrible. Well, he was uh, a good guy. He was a good guy. Were there were there any drastic differences between the NHL, the AHL, and the other minor leagues when it comes to mentality and physicality? Uh, I think the minor league was more physical, to be honest with you, than the because a lot of a lot of guys that went to the minor league, they were hoping that maybe they could be the enforcer for the team in the NHL. So there are a lot of fights in the minor league, to be honest. And I think it was 
for someone like me, it was not bad when I was with the Quebec Aces. It started after. Because I think it would have been difficult for guys like Gretzky and I to play in the minor league because we probably couldn't do the stuff that we were doing with the puck because they would come after us right away. Right. Um, so I think the style in the NHL changed with St. Louis when we played. They played us in the Flyers in the playoff. And that's when the Flyers – that's why I got traded because the Flyers wanted to go bigger and try to get some fun enforcers because – Ed Snyder, the best owner I ever played for, said, we're not going to get run around anymore. And let's face it, when the Flyers won the Stanley Cup, they were not the best team when they won the Stanley Cup. Nah. They were the most physical team. Yep. They were not the best team in hockey, but they won because they did the right, they did what they had to do to win. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was you, you, you left right before that was going on, correct? Yeah, right before. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Read yeah. that earlier. Well, yeah. that's what I. That's why when we were talking about the WHA and the NHL, I tell people, I said, guys like Schultz, Selesky, McLeish, all these guys, if it was not for the WHA, they would have been in the minors, because we opened the doors for so many people to play hockey, and so many people jump league that they had to get people up, and that's when that did, that opened the doors for a lot of those guys. Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned it, when we uh, we talked to uh, Riley Cote and and uh, Frank Bialowis, and they actually did say that you know the the minor league was so much more aggressive because the guys were trying to fight to get up to the NHL. So I didn't know if that if that was still happening back then. I mean, it's that's, oh, that's yeah. a rough gig. Yeah, but you know the the problem is most of these guys couldn't play hockey either. They, they were just there they to were be there. enforcers, right? Well, and they used to say, you know, that beats a nine to five job. I can make some decent money. I'll fight once a game or maybe, you know, maybe twice. And I can make a living out of that. But a lot of these guys end up having brain problems afterwards too. Right. And some of these guys, like Bob Probert, who played for Detroit, one of the best fighters in hockey ever. Yeah. He couldn't fight at the end because his knuckles were all gone from fighting. You know, I mean, it takes its toll after a while. You know, I played with Keith Danielson in Chicago. Keith was the best, nicest guy you want to meet and the worst fighter you want to see. <laughs> okay. But he was so well loved in Chicago. And I don't think he ever won a fight. I don't think he ever won a fight. But he was such a good defenseman. He did his role. He knew he had to be physical. It didn't matter. He knew he was going to get beat up, but he went anyway. That's a tough way to play, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah right. Earn your respect that way, though. I mean, yeah, I'm not the prettiest thing to do, but people are going to respect you for it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but the, right now, the the difference with the NHL now, most of the enforcers are pretty good hockey players, and you have to because you have a salary cap. You can't afford to just bring a guy to fight because you you're wasting a player. So if you look at the enforcer in the NHL, that's why the Rangers made a great move when they got Reeves from uh, Vegas. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, because that's because nobody's gonna touch Panarin and all these guys anymore. Nope. Okay, now he's yeah. just gonna beat us up all year. That's why when, <laughs> it, when I'll tell you when Pittsburgh won their second Stanley Cup, a good friend of mine he uh, he lives in Toronto. We worked for Nesley here, and his nephew Stephen Stamkos. So you know, oh. good friends. And I said when, they, when Pittsburgh traded Reeves, that was the biggest mistake they made because he was protecting their superstars. 
Yeah. Now there was nobody to protect them. And I tell you, I really believe if Ruiz was going to be with them, they would have won another cup. Not because of his hockey, just his presence. Yeah. Right. He's yeah, a fourth-line player. You need a fourth-line player anyway. So you might as well get somebody that everybody's going to be afraid of. And they haven't really had a sheriff. No. In a lot of years. And that's why they're not winning. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's why I wait to see when Washington plays the Rangers. Oh, that's, that's gonna, gonna be, be great. Fun, yeah, that's gonna be, uh, that fun. that rivalry between Reeves and Wilson is already that's gonna be, it is. That could be interesting, <laughs> and I'm sure the Rangers gonna make sure they go against each other. Oh, absolutely, yeah. you know, absolutely. Guess no but more throwing. The ratings, uh, the ratings down gonna the be unbelievable. <laughs> uh, Panarin's gonna he's he's loving his life right now. <laughs> oh, you're not kidding. You must be drinking every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a different. How was so? So how was the – there was a lot of things that went on during during the playoffs. And, you know, there was a lot of physicality that was happening that was kind of head-scratching this year. Um, when the Tom Wilson-Panarin uh, thing happened yeah. and the, the Ryan Reeves thing happened, which in my opinion I thought was a little a little weird. I don't know if you were familiar with that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I think it was uh, Azam Kadri when he kind of did his thing, and that was, that was kind of a head-scratcher as well. Does, is that that that's got to be something like the, the 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 Tom Wilson one was was by far the worst I feel. Well, what, what about the guy from Winnipeg that got suspended for seven games? Oh, Shifley with that Shifley. hit. That he should never be suspended for seven games. What's he supposed to let the guy score? Yeah, come on, you know. And then you Reeves never got suspended, he got fined. Yep, or right. Got for one game or whatever. Well, you we, know, what he did was much worse than what the other guy did. Well, from what I understand is I thought you weren't allowed to find people during the playoffs. They're not making money. Oh, you're allowed. You can find them. You can find them or suspend them. Wow. And you can only find them for $5,000. That's a maximum. Uh, you okay. probably carry that in their pocket every night. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's yeah. tough. $5,000. Yeah, and then when, when, when uh, Wilson does what he did, he just like something snapped. Oh, yeah. And oh, he yeah. just started, you know. And well, Wilson I, had two guys yeah, on him, though. In his you know, defense, he, he had two guys his, fighting. He picks his spot, though. Yes. So that's the problem. That's what I don't like about Wilson. He picks his spots when he does something dirty. And I'll tell you what. He's not going to go after Panarin or anybody in New York. He won't. No, he, he's terrified. He's terrified of Reeves anyway. Oh, big time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he should be. Absolutely. You know. But the Flyers don't have anybody either, right? Oh, uh, we do now. We got two. Who? Uh, you got Sam Morin. He could fight. And now you got. Um, but he doesn't really have, you know, because the Flyers never really got the chance to bring him up. Right, uh, right. With his previous injuries. But if, I mean, yes, it's a few years ago. If you look at his highlights from when he was in juniors and shit, he used to just bloody, bloody yeah. people up with his hands. Yeah, he was a bad. Plus, that he got Arista Line and will fight. He's not the best. I mean, Ellis will do it. Nate uh, Nate Thompson will do it. There's some guys on. There's yeah, some you leadership. See, these guys on defense, though, you you cannot you can't afford to have them fight. You need them on the ice, right? right. To be honest with you, that's why a guy like Morin, for example, he's the kind of guy you put on the fourth line, and if anybody has any problem, then maybe you move him to the third line. Just say, because you see, in the old days, they used to tell the guy. You know what you have to do when I put you on the ice. You can't right. do that anymore. 
if you just do that, give him the nod. You know, oh you know, give him the old nod. Like, well, as, <laughs> as soon as he puts you on the ice again to say Wilson, if you don't get the message, you'll be sent down to minors. Oh, of course. I know. I know. During a press conference uh, last week, Chuck Fletcher said that he would basically almost the same words out of Ed Snyder's mouth was that, you know, he he got some of the guys he got because they're a little nastier in front of the net to protect Carter right. Hart. So that, I'd like happened. to hear that. Absolutely. He's trying to get what the Flyers had when they won the Cup, mm-hmm. basically. Exactly. That's what he's doing. Now would be the great. right time for it, too, because uh, that physicality is almost gone. If you bring that back, I mean, what are you going to do? Exactly. Exactly. So I think the Flyers should do well next year. I really do. As I long really as, do. like what you said earlier, as long as uh, Carter Hart you know, gets his act together. I think he will, though. I think he will. I hope somebody – you know – he needs, like, you know, the the pro golfers, they have somebody that basically go with them all the time and just, they're not doctors. They just pick their brain, you know. They're like specialists, you know. And that's what Carter Hartley needs. He needs somebody to make him think positive but be honest with him and talk. And that's why when you look at those golfers, the way they play and the way they keep their posture and everything else, they have somebody that's with them all the time that keep them positive. And then, but don't tell him all the time the right thing, to be honest with you. And that, I think that was a problem with Carter is that he, when he was playing bad, okay, it's almost like, what do I have to do to get to get better? This should have sent him down to the minors for yeah. a week or two, to be honest with you. Say, by the way, you're not guaranteed a job here. Because see, when he came up, this he's the future of the, of the Flyers. He's no Bernie Perrant, let's face it. Yeah, you know. Right. And... The thing is, I used to, I, I coach a lot of hockey. I coach at the college level. I coach at high school. I coach kids. And what, another reason I don't watch much hockey is because I watch the goalies now. There's only one good goalie in the NHL, right? One. The guy in, in Tampa. He's the only good goalie right now. Vasilevsky. Right. He's the only good one. The other one are okay. And the reason is because they all play the butterfly, which is the worst thing you can do. When you're down your knees, you give a lot of stuff up over, above your shoulder. And I say, if you go down your knees, the puck change direction, you can move as quickly. And I used to tell all the kids, I said, please, whoever you have as an instructor, get rid of them. Because you're not learning anything. Bernie Perrant, to be honest with you, if you ask Bernie to get the puck out of the zone, he couldn't reach the blue line. <laughs> but that was not his job. Right. Yeah, right. His job. When we practice, if we scored in practice, we have to stop practice because Bernie had to figure out why we scored. That's how good he was. Yeah. But again, his defensemen were also very good. They were good defensemen. They were not offensive defensemen. They were defensemen. Today, most of the NHL team, they're looking for offensive defensemen. If you're an offensive defenseman because you feel that's where they can make their money, that means you don't protect your goalie because you want to score a goal or get an assist. That makes sense. Sounds like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> you might well, be a okay. coach. I think you might be a coach. I don't know. I think well, so. I would, you know what? I, I think you need to coach the flyer. <laughs> well, I tried to coach for many years after I retired. There's so much politics in hockey. Oh, of course. And it's oh, a recycling okay. business. I mean, look at the coach with the Creighton. You know, he used to be with the Flyers. He went yeah. as an assistant in Toronto. Now he's a coach. I mean, come on, give me a break, you know. So uh, there's. I tell a story when Jacques Demers, I don't know if you remember Jacques Demers, a coach. He coached in Detroit. They won the cup. And 
I was doing a radio broadcast with the, with the Whalers in Hartford. And I was very good friend with the owner of the Whalers who became the the owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Howard Baldwin. He and I are very good friends. And at the time, they had fired Scotty Bowman in Pittsburgh. They were looking for a coach. And Tavares calls me and he said, Andre, he said, uh, if you get a chance, would you talk to Howard for me? He said, I would love to go to Pittsburgh. He, he said, I don't think they want to, I don't think the teams in the NHL want to hire a French Canadian. That's what he told me. Oh, okay. So I said, you know, if I get a chance, I'll talk to him. He said, then if you, if I get a job, I'll bring you in. Cause that's the only way, you know, you can get in this business. And one day I'm driving from Philadelphia down to Brigantine and I always listen to WFAN in New York. And I hear on the radio that the Detroit Red Wings just hired Jacques Demers. <laughs> okay. So I tried to call him. He wouldn't take my phone call. Never called me back. Okay. And then Mario Tremblay, who used to play for the Canadian, good hockey player, was doing broadcasts for the Canadian. And every time we went to Montreal, we would go in the press box and eat together and talk. And I was telling the story. He said, Henri, don't feel bad. He did the same thing to me. He did the same thing to a lot of people. So they use people to get to where they want, then they forget about you. Of course. That's horrible. Yeah. I mean, when I tried, Pat Quinn was a coach. Pat Quinn used to rent my house in Philadelphia when he was there. Oh, and yeah. then when he got the job in LA, I called, I contact Pat. I said, Pat, I said, I would love to get into coaching. And he said, Andre, he said, I can't. He said, they told me there's two guys that are on the roster that are not good enough to play here, but they have to pay them and I have to use them. Wow. And then when Bill Deneen coached the Flyers, good friend of mine, I played with him in Houston, good coach. When Bill Deneen coached the Flyers, I asked Bill the same thing. I said, Bill, I said, if you get a chance, I said, I would love to coach with you. You know, he said, Andre, they told me who I had to hire for coaches. Wow. He couldn't even bring his own, he couldn't even bring his own coaches. That's crazy. You know, Do you still there. coach today? No, I, I, I kind of retired from coaching. I, I concentrate on my skill as a hockey player now. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> tougher these days, I think, to coach because everyone's so coddled. Like you mentioned Carter Hart, how, you know, they didn't send him down. I think that's because anytime there's a franchise player, they're so worried about, you know, their feelings and everything instead of the worrying about them as a hockey player. And they don't want to hurt their feelings. They don't want to step on anyone's toes. You're 100% right. You know what Carter Hart needs? He needs a professional, someone that does that for a living, okay, that will come to every game. And every after every game, spend maybe a half hour with him and say to him, okay, how do you think you played today? If he says, I think I played okay, and say, no, no, you were shitty today. <laughs> or, you know, or you had some good moments, you had some bad moments. Be honest with him. To, yeah. make, to make get something out of him, you know. Yeah. But do that every game. After every game, that he knows that he's going to have to meet somebody who's a professional, not just not just a dingbat that's just a in the organization or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, You're right? Get a pole that's going to they're going to pay him and say you're going to be his babysitter after every game and discuss the game with him and make him feel positive about himself. Tell him what he did wrong, but what he could do better, whatever. But you know, talk to him. That's what he needs. Mm -hmm. But. Yeah. You can't expect that because he had a good year two years ago. I always say, if you look at the NHL now, they used to give long-term contract to the goalies. They don't anymore. Right. They only signed them for one of because they're not good. Look when Chicago won the cup. Remember the goalie, Niemi? 
in Chicago. They won oh, the after they yeah. won the cup, they got rid of him. I never thought he was that good. Chicago had a great team. He ended up going to San Jose. He's been everywhere. But goaltender in the playoffs, either they get hot or not. And that's why the guy, the guy in Tampa, is the same every game. I mean, he's awesome. I mean, he's the only one I can think that he's really, really, really good. There you are no franchise. Good? There are no franchise goalies almost besides him in the NHL right now. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you also got Price up in Montreal. He's the well, don't forget him, him and Valeski are the last two franchises. Halfway through the season, Price was not the number one goalie in Montreal. The other kid was. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think Montreal was hoping someone would pick him up because they had to pay him $10 million like on July 1st. Mm -hmm. And he's got a couple of years to go. And he was hoping to also. go to Seattle because his wife is from that area. Ah. Oh, yeah. That's why right. he was hoping that Seattle would take him. Because, see, after after nobody took him, because that before the draft, they were saying that uh, they didn't know if he was going to be able to start the season next year. Hip well, injury, for some yeah. reason, some magic happened. He got an operation. Now he's going to start the season next year. He's okay. Right. Yeah, magically. Yeah. Somebody yeah. called that. Somebody called that a couple weeks ago. I don't know who that was. <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah. who that was. Yeah. So, you know. The problem is, is a lot of guys, you know, like Tampa made a great move when they, they bought the, uh, what's his name that was in Montreal? They just signed him for a couple of years. The guy that, uh, uh, the old guy, oh, what's his name? I, I'll think of his name. And then, because the only players that Tampa lost were third and fourth line players. And you get those all day long. You can't get those all day long, to be honest with you. They didn't lose any of their top line players. No, so of course not. Uh, Tampa stacked. Right. And then they, they're going to find the same type of player to replace them. But then these guys, because they won the cup, someone said, hey, we need them on our team. Then they give them five, $6 million a year. They're turning Fortnite players. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> give me a break. You know, it's amazing. That's why, I mean, it's money. It's almost like, uh, it's like the government. It's almost like they print the money and just give it to them. Right. Um, not to switch the, the gears a little bit. Um, I read something. Me and you actually had had a conversation probably about half a year ago. I don't know if you, you probably don't remember it. We about were actually what? me and you were actually talking on another page um, about the, 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 the fighting in hockey. And I was actually saying, oh, I love it. And you were expressing how you didn't like it. Um, it didn't get to like a bad point or anything like that. But from that day, I, I kind of started researching you, and um, I, I came to find out that uh, you're, you were considered the Wayne Gretzky before there was Wayne Gretzky. Now knowing that, that that's how does that feel that you were you were the guy? Well, in, in your prime, you were the best player. Well, because someone gave me the chance to show my skills. That's why I said Gretzky and I had the same type of same type of same style of hockey. I tell people, I said, my biggest accomplishment in hockey is 1974. A lot of things happened to me in 1974. Besides playing on Team Canada 74 against a Russian, I won the French Canadian Athlete of the Year in 1974. It's in all sports. It's like the Eisman Trophy, basically. And then I won the scoring title, made the first All-Star team. But the biggest accomplishment of, the, of them all, then an arena was named after me in my own town. 
But the biggest accomplishment is I finished the season with 106 assists. Wow. There's only four players in the history of hockey, four players in the history of hockey that ever had at least 100 assists in one season. Gretzky, Bobby Orr, Mario Lemieux, and I. We're the only four that ever had at least 100 assists in one season. And to me, if, you have a, if you're a center and you get 100 assists, that means you've done your job. See, all the wingers I played, for, I played with, they, each one of them, left and right, they each score at least 40 goals a year. And that, that means I had to do something right for them to score. But right. I told them, I said, I need the puck because if you carry the puck, that's not your job. You're terrible at it. <laughs> so you need to give me the puck so I can give it to you to score a goal. There you go. But in San, Diego, in San Diego, the, a reporter gave me the nickname The Magician. Yeah, actually, someone just commented in and, and uh, yeah, called you that. Leah Casaro, Carasso, yeah. The yeah. Magician. Yeah, in San Diego, yeah. A reporter said to me, he says, how did you see that guy? There was no room to put the puck. I said, there wasn't enough room because you got it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you had you had a lot. You actually, the awards that you got, I mean, you got the, the Red Tilson Trophy in uh, 65 was awesome. and 66. The Red Tilson Trophy is awesome. And the reason it is is because it's the most valuable player in major junior. When I played junior hockey, the best junior player in the world played in the OHA. Okay. In oh. the first year that I won, I won it, I beat Bobby Orr. But Bobby was two years younger than I was. The second year that I won it, I beat Bobby Orr and Jacques Lemaire. The second year I won. And as I think only like a handful of players in the major league that have won, has won it two years in a row. Because you wow. can only play four years in, in junior. Yeah. Right. You know. So that was awesome. As a matter of fact, the, the plates, they're hanging behind me here. They gave me a you know, beautiful plate with the name on it, Red Tilson Award and that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so, you won that twice. Yeah, two years in a row. Yeah, you got the uh, the Eddie Power Memorial Trophy in 66 with the, the Peets. Yeah. Um, and then you had the, uh, the uh, Bill Hunter Trophy. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you, you, got a lot of, you got a lot of awards going on. Well, I – I, I got a lot of awards, but again, you know, I, because I played center, to me, the, the 106 assists, I had 41 goals at 106 assists that season. I finished the season with 147 points. But the 106 assists was awesome. I have the puck, as a matter of fact. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, hang on to that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have the puck on a plate with uh, – my first goal against Les Binkley when we tied 1-1, my first game in the NHL, and the 106 assist puck. Hmm. Yeah, I and I also have a puck like when I, I scored my first hat trick against the Toronto Maple Leafs in the NHL. I got that puck. And I have all my jerseys. I, I actually I actually just ordered a Blazers jersey today. I get I get I get mail every year, professional people. Would you sell, you know, any of your jersey, da, 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 you know? And I said, no. I said, I'm going give, to give it to my kids. Yeah. I'm going to give everything to my kids. That's awesome. You know, That's no, I'm not selling anything. No. <laughs> no. You, I have my All-Star jersey, my Team Canada jersey. I you, have, yeah, you yeah. mentioned that you played for Team Canada in 74. I was going to ask you questions about the, the Summit Series. I know there's a huge documentary on – the 1972 Summit Series, and I watched it 
probably six years ago. Yeah. And it's just an awesome documentary. And I've seen that you, you mentioned you played in 74. Now, I guess, which was the second Summit Series. Yep. Yep. How, how was that experience? It was good. The problem is I don't think we were prepared well enough to play them mm -hmm. because – as we talked earlier in the program, there was such a finesse hockey. They played hockey the way it should be played, the way we talked about, the way, Bar the way Barzell plays, that's the way they play. Mm -hmm. Their defense were as good as their forwards. And we thought that if we play physical against them, they hated to get physical, that we could beat them. And that's why they beat you on the power play. And they were also a dirty team. What mm -hmm. they did, they hit you from behind when the referees aren't looking and they tell you that they're sorry after that, mm -hmm. you know. And then one game in Russia, Kalamov, who now passed away, went and scored a goal, and he went around Pat Stapleton. About around Pat Stapleton, and after he scored his goal, he came by Pat Stapleton and tapped him in the back, like say, "Hey, sucker, I scored again too." You know, oh. Pat Stapleton turned around and punched him in the face. <laughs> well, in Russia, if you do that, they put you in jail. Oh wow! Yeah, so we had we had some problem, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I remember from the documentary wow. on the, the 72 Summit Series, Bobby Clark had oh, yeah. a real controversial uh, slash. I forget who it was on. Like I said, it was a few years, but. They talked just, about it again today. Really? Yeah. He just oh, took yeah. a, a wild, like, axe to a tree. The meanest thing that he could have done, you yeah. know. It was intentional, they said. Oh, no. You know? The guy was on a breakaway, well, and he just said, no, nope, not today. <laughs> do you remember when the Russian came to Philadelphia to play a game? Oh yeah. And do you remember when they were gonna they they were skate they skate off the ice because the flies were too dirty? Yeah, mm -hmm. they they wouldn't pay him if they didn't come back on the it's ice. It's not it's in a message down. You want to get your money, you better go back on the ice. <laughs> yep. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Now Snyder was an unbelievable man. You know, even when I got traded, my daughter used to work for the spectrum, not the flyers, the spectrum. Mm. And I used to come and visit her. When I came and visit her, we used all the executives played hockey at the Spectrum at six o'clock in the morning before they went to work. So I would go play hockey with them. And then if the Flyers played that night, Snyder would invite me. I would sit in the in a box with them, you know, and we talk. We remained friends until he passed away, basically. Awesome. And he used to tell me that at the end, <clears throat> excuse me, he enjoyed watching the American League better, you know, with the seat because his box was low. You know, like what the people were in the old spectrum. He didn't like the new spectrum because the boxes was too high. Yeah. And he used to love it when he was low because he used to talk to the fans, you know. And he treated he treated all of us like we're his kids, all of us. And his wife at the time, before he got divorced, Myrna, she did more as much for hockey for us as he did. Because most of the guys, when we when we were, most of the guys were older than they are now today. They're 18, 19 years old. We're all in our mid 20s, early 30s, and a lot of guys that were married. And when we went on the road, so like today, when we're on the road, sometimes we're on the road for 10 days. Today, you go on the road for two days. And what Myrna did is she used to invite the wives to their, to her house to have like a jewelry show or something just to keep them busy. Right. And then when you came home, then you knew your wife did something that, you know, you didn't have to take her out or do something. <laughs> you <know. laughs> you can go home and relax. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. No, yeah. those, are, those are the great days, I'll tell you, with the Flyers. Leak, you 
Lee Carrasso asks, do you remember the Eddie Van Ipe hit on Komarov? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, Eddie Van Ipe, when he played the Bruins, Phil Esposito, you know, scored so many goals because of Bobby Orr, obviously. And Eddie couldn't get to him. Eddie couldn't get to him because, let's face it, Phil Esposito was a big man. He was 10 for the net, and Bobby would just side the puck to him, and Phil would put an empty net or something. Mm. Eddie was telling me it took him one year to get to him. In the playoff, Eddie <laughs> used to slash him and everything, and Eddie, and Esposito wouldn't do, would say anything. In the playoff, Eddie slashed him hard enough that Esposito turned around and said something to him. Eddie said, I got to him. <laughs> <laughs> I got. It took a year, but I got to him. <laughs> Listen, I mean, Eddie was not a, didn't have much finesse on defense. I mean, he blocked shots and he hit people. And when he hits you with his stick, it's almost like he had a, a, a saw in his hand. I mean, you know, he could, <laughs> could really hurt you. I mean, yeah. he was just brutal, you know. That's too much. But that's well, what about it. Won. Back you then, know? you know, you guys only had like a quarter inch pads, and then you're also using like five. Listen, no helmets. I kept, I never played the helmet, and oh. I tell people my whole career. I didn't play with shoulder pads. What I did is I cut the, the shoulder pad that you know the, just for the shoulder. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I didn't have any front or back. Wow. Just the top. Because I said, <laughs> I'm not blocking shots. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's not my job. You know? And uh, but and I that's what I was fortunate. I I never I hardly missed any game in both leagues. You mm. know, I I was I I was healthy all the time, which was good. The original Iron Man. Yeah, really, because I played a lot of games. Yeah. yeah. But I took care of myself, too. You know, uh, I had a few beers, but I, you know, uh, ate properly and got my rest. And You know, parents were different. I mean, we had a schedule. I used to eat pasta the night before a game, and I used to eat a steak the day of a game. And today, the guys, they, they'll eat a burger before a game. I mean, we. I use if I had a game at seven thirty, I ate at one o'clock in the afternoon. Then I took a two-hour nap. When I moved, to, when I was in my house on North Avenue in Philadelphia, there's a neighbor that moved across the street. And one day he came over to introduce himself, and I had a game that night. And my wife went to talk to him, and he said, "I'm sorry, Andre, take a, he's taking a nap." And the guy probably went back home and said, "What is he taking a nap in the middle of the afternoon?" <laughs> you know, yeah. I said, "I don't have to answer him because I had to concentrate on what I was doing that yeah. night." So the next day, I went to his house, and I said, by the way, I didn't want to be mean. I said, the reason I have a schedule that I keep, that's my livelihood. Mm-hmm. And I, the only people I talk to the day of a game, if my parents call me from Quebec, otherwise I don't talk to anybody. Oof. I don't, no. There you go. Stay to your ritual, yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, most of the guys, they, they were pretty good about taking You know, guys down they go to movies in the afternoon if they have to. I mean, you know. There's no way now. I mean, I I got ready for my game. If we play tomorrow night, tonight I got ready for my game tomorrow night. I was thinking about who the goalie was, who I was going to play against, what their weakness was, and that's you know that's what you know. Like today they have those uh, those those screen on the bench so the players can look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah, the tablets. It's, yeah, but it's stupid because the puck moves so fast. Whatever plea you look at, it's not going to happen again anyway. 
Yeah, right. That's a good point, actually. It's not going to happen again. You know, they actually have those pads built into the floor. Right. Yeah, that's unbelievable. (coughs) Unbelievable. I mean, the only thing I would, if I was sitting on the bench, I would look at is the way the goalie drops down. Like, if say if you're firing it from the the boards on the wing, just to see see if his tendencies if he drops early or not. You see, that's a good point because see when I when we when I went on the ice for the warm up. I only took a couple shots because I didn't take too many shots in the game because I'd rather make a pass. But what I did in the warm-up, I used to skate between the red line and the blue line, and I just watched the goalie because most of the time when the guy shoots on their goalie, he shoots where he knows he can put the puck in the net instead of warming up the goalie. So if the puck, if the guy shoots low and the puck goes in, I say, okay, I know what to do now. So I used to watch the other goalies in the warm-up to see what the, their weakness was. There you go. That was a good point by you. No. You should be a coach. There you go. Oh, there you go, Well, then let's not get carried away here. The way the, the way the people, the way the people, you know, kind of cry when you insult them, you know, I would probably. Yeah, you wouldn't be insulted very well. Yeah. I think <laughs> I only way. said one one curse word with this interview. So. Yeah, you did good, man. You did good. <laughs> I didn't even notice that till right now. You did really good, actually. That's I mean, good. and the only curse word I said was shit, and that's really <laughs> oh, wait, oh, yeah. wait. I'm coaching you sports now, and it's so hard to not oh, yeah. drop an F-bomb or say, what oh, the hell I are you doing? Imagine. You got to bite your tongue. It's not like back in the day. Even when I played in mid-90s youth sports, you know, they'd be reaming you out. What the fuck? What, what are you doing? Nowadays, yeah. you have to be nice to, to them, coddle them, you know, tap oh, yeah. them on the head. It, it's my, a lot harder nowadays. My dad was my football coach, and I remember to this day it was the beginning of the of the the baby and the kids. He he smacked the kid on top of his helmet, made him run laps because he was uh he was late for a football practice, and that was it. My dad wasn't the coach anymore, and, and the team started losing. Wow, <laughs> now you, you got to coddle him now. It's oh, it's yeah. tough. You it's like a happy medium. Some kids, I think the kids that are really good. Their parents want you to push them hard because they know that's what it takes for them to succeed. And then the parents that just have their kids out there to make them active and have fun, they want you to coddle those type of players. You know, I always happy medium. Yeah, I always said all the kids that play hockey, youth hockey now, the parents should take their kids to the rink, drop them off, go home, and pick them up after. Yep. They shouldn't go in. No, go to to the games. That's it. And don't watch the, practice. The one thing that hurt me in a way, because I'm too honest, you know, it, parents would come and if they asked me, how's my son doing? I said, well, he's okay, but not doing too well, you know. <laughs> you know but they want you to tell them he's, he's awesome. doing well. Then yeah. they're going to go to somebody and say, Andre told me my son should be a double-A player, not an A player. I would never say that. Never mm-hmm. say that. Plus, kids don't know how to lose either. Well, my uh, reputation's on the line. I right. coached for so many years, and I've had success coaching. And the reason I've had success because I didn't take any crap from anybody. I didn't have to do it. I said, I'm going to do it my way. And I said, if a player doesn't play well, he's not going to play. I don't care if he's a star on the team. He's not going to play. I'm going to play the guys that can produce. You know, mm-hmm. and sometimes I don't like that because I coached prep school. And some of these kids oh. in high school <laughs> – they pay $26,000 a year to go to that school. Whew. And I said, one kid was just a puck hockey. He wouldn't pass the puck. Could have been a good hockey player. It was about three years ago. And I said, if you don't pass the puck, I'm going to bench you. Guys, <laughs> don't, nobody want to play with him. 
So he goes back on the ice, he gets a puck, and he tries to beat the same guy twice, tries to beat another guy, you know, wouldn't pass the puck. So when he came off the ice, the next time his turn came in, let's stay here. So after the game, I bench him basically for a whole period. So after the game, I'm walking out of the locker room. This woman is standing by the locker room, and oh, she boy. said, Coach. I said, yeah. I said, you know, we're not about 20 years. I said, yeah, it's your son. She said, what the heck are you doing sitting him? I said, excuse me? Oh, boy. I said, I don't have to talk to you. I'm not going to talk to you. And I said, if he doesn't pass a puck, he will not be playing. So I had to have a meeting with the, the hockey director. And, oh, and man. You know. The school board. I didn't back down. I didn't back down. Everybody that has nothing to do with what you did, you have to have a conference <laughs> with. Exactly. Well, because you see, the when you pay $26,000 to go to high school, they expect the parents also to donate money to the school. Right. So the coach will be the first one to go because they don't want to lose the money from the parents. Mm. No doubt about that. That's you know. Pol- politics and everything. School, yeah. sports. It's just everything getting out of hand. It is, really. You know, when I tell people about in Cleveland, hockey is decent, not great, you know. But everybody's got a triple-A team. And I said – Guys, we don't have to play players here. I say every time you go to Detroit to play, they kick your butt because you're a dub. You're not Triple A. They're Triple A in Detroit, not here. But if they don't play Triple A, they don't want to play. Right. I mean, that's all. That's that's sad. That's really yeah. sad. They would rather go get their butt kicked just to have that title of Triple A than to actually increase exactly. their skill. Well, the problem is if they play one year at the Triple A level. And the following year, let's say they move up and they don't play Triple A, they say, wait a minute, I played last year. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, well, you were not good enough, but they let you on the team anyway because your parents had money. Yep. <laughs> if you can't pay the bill, you'll play. That's what it is today mm-hmm. with kids. It's sad. It's going to ruin sports. You're it not going to see the same games. Uh, I mean, just – I mean, the head injury stuff I get, but the coddling players where everyone gets a trophy and things like that, it's yep. just kids yeah, need to great. learn how to fail. Everyone gets better when they fail. And well, you have to fail. Harder. Exactly. You have to fail. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And people just don't want that. The parents don't want to hear yeah. They all want their kid to get the trophy so they can take a picture and put the it on Facebook and Instagram and things like that. Yes. Yeah. Instead of getting their kid better. And they should never give trophies at the end of the year anyway. Nobody should get trophies. Nobody should get trophies. Just a champion. You know, I mean, you give it – if you win the championship, you get a trophy. That's, that's, you know, that's the you, only ones. When, yeah. I was, when I was coaching uh, youth hockey, we used to go to tournaments. We won a lot of tournaments. And after every tournament that we won, they would say to me, okay, we, we, have, we need to know who your MVP is for the tournament. I said, the whole team is the MVP. I refused to. I refused to name anybody as an MVP for the tournament. I refused. I said, "Keep the trophy. I don't want it. No, I'm not mm. going to name anybody." Mm. I said, "It's not one player that won. We all won together. Team yeah. effort, no doubt." Exactly. Because if you give it to one, so the rest of the parents going to be pissed. Number one. Yes. You know, and then the next time, what if you give it to him twice? He says, "Oh, Andre likes him. He doesn't like me." Right. No. Everything's a controversy. It's all controversial. Either that or the kid you give it to twice, he thinks that he's good enough. He doesn't have to keep working. So it could be a downfall for him as well. You keep rewarding him. And he's like, oh, I can just, I can just go off of town alone. Not hard work. I'm already good. At the age of 14, 15, instead of just leaving to say, Hey, everyone had a part. 
everyone will keep working together and working the yep. same. So absolutely. Wow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's it, it's amazing. You know, and I'll tell you what, a lot of kids that I coach like five years, six years ago, some of them are out of college now, you know, I they're still stay in touch with me, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. That means we had a good time together. We you know, uh and I, I stay in touch with some of the parents too. Yeah. So that's what it's all about. That means it worked, right? Exactly. Well, it worked. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. awesome. Yeah. You uh you guys yeah, if you if you guys don't have anything else, we definitely wrap this up. Um that was fun, guys. Thank you. Yeah, it definitely was great, great time. time. Thanks for coming on. I mean, I'd definitely like to have you on again. We'll see Absolutely. how the how the flyers, happy to. You see know? how the flyers do this year. Yeah, yeah when they start playing, and then we could evaluate uh, the goalie. Absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah, definitely. And we'll evaluate the rest of the team too, how they're doing yeah. and socks and who's good. There you yeah. go. That's great. <laughs> All right. When it comes Thank to us, Flyers Alley. Thank you, Andre, for coming on. Thank you, on. guys. Pleasure. Thank you, Andre. Thank you. Great time. Fun. Bye. All right, guys. That was Andre Lois. Legend. I didn't realize how much of a legend he was. That dude is the man. He was fun as hell. I'll tell you that much. That's why I went and grabbed more beers. Cause I was like, this is getting <laughs> awesome. So I need to keep pounding beers. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that being said, everybody, thanks everybody for coming out. Um, be sure to go to uh, www.oldcitysports.com, old spelled O-L-D-E, and check out the Dusty Buttes Hockey Show, Rumble Fumble Live, the Blue Line Pre-Show, the three-pointer and the halftimers podcast. Um, we are also everybody in the network is also sponsored by Body Check Wellness. Go to www.bodycheckwellness.com. Enter promo code OCS for 25% off your hemp derived CBD oils, functioning mushroom blends, and your edibles for you and your doggos. Um, I'm Jesse from Flyers Alley. Along with me, as always, Jake and Wade. We'll see you guys next time. Hey guys, Jesse here from Flyers Alley. Just want to remind you guys, Flyers Alley is part of Old City Sports Network. Go to www.oldcitysports.com, old spelled O-L-D-E, and check out all of our great shows, including the Dusty Buttes Hockey Show, the Halftimers Podcast, Rumble Fumble Live, and the Blue Line Pre-Show, which is our AHL league-wide show. New articles and schedules are updated weekly. Thanks again, guys. We'll see you next time in the alley.